You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. Last week, we talked about this idea of joy. Last week, we said, what is it? What is joy? Joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't circumstantial. Joy isn't something that comes and goes. Joy is a consequence of faith. Faith comes before joy. Joy isn't an idea. It isn't a decision. It isn't a doctrine. Joy is an emotion. It's a feeling that I get in my soul that's produced by the Holy Spirit. You can't have biblical joy without a biblical God. You can't have Christian joy without Christian belief. And so we come to God with this faith that we put by the grace of God in Jesus. He inhabits us with the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness. What is it, though? It's the Holy Spirit teaching me, reminding me, and showing me that I am known by God. The Pastor Brandon and Miss Tara, God knew their story and knew that it was going to intersect and knew that it was going to intersect with my prayers. God was doing that all along, and that produces joy in me, that I am loved by God. Loved by God in that he knows the thoughts in my mind, the desires in my heart, the hairs that potentially could have been on my head. (laughs) Not according to a sovereign plan, apparently. And that he works on my behalf and for his glory and toward my joy because he loves me. And that God wanted me. I'm wanted by God. God sees me and knows me and all my brokenness, things you don't know about me, all my foibles, idiosyncrasies, foolishness, buffoonery, and God still knows me, still sees me, still loves me, still wants me. How do I know that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches me that, reminds me of that, shows me that, and shows me that when God says it, I can trust it. That the promises of God are yes and amen. This feeling, this thing that I'm feeling right now as I look at this young couple, it's not happiness, it's not circumstantial, it's, wow, God, you answer prayers. Wow, God, you're at work in them and in us and in this and together and, whew, not happy, it's joyful. It's the presence of God in which there is joy forevermore. The question is, then, that's the what, how, how do I get it? How do I live in it? How do I experience it? So obviously, uh, if you have God's Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, say amen today. Amen. Yeah. If you have God's Spirit, then you have what the Holy Spirit produces. The Holy Spirit, God is a God of joy. God is joy, has joy, gives joy. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have it as well. So what we understand is that it isn't about getting joy, because if you have the Holy Spirit, you have joy. But some of us, our joy has been robbed, our joy has been stolen, our joy has been blocked. So I really can't teach you how to get it as much as teach you how to keep it. Are you with me? When you understand what joy is and where joy comes from and who joy mimics, you should expect a fight around your joy. You should expect it. You are in a ring whether you know it or not. You're going to get punched whether you know it or not. Some of you are waking up with fat lips and black eyes and no idea why. I'm telling you why. Because the joy that God produces in you, the enemy hates it because he knows who has it and where it comes from and what it mimics. So when I'm joyful, the enemy hates it. 
When I have joy, the enemy wants to steal it and destroy it and kill it in any way that he can. You need to know that your joy is under attack whether you know it or not. The enemy hates God. The enemy hates what God is, what God does, what God gives, and what God loves, and God loves you. And God loves you. John 10 and verse 10, the thief comes only, this is all he does, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So the enemy, here's what he does, he lies to you so that he can steal from you. He lies to you so that he can steal from you. It is true that you are known by God, but some of you don't believe it. It is true that you are loved by God, but some of you don't feel it. It is true that you are wanted by God, but some of you can't wrap your head around it. It is true that God's promises stand. It is true that your bad turns to good, Romans 8. It is true that your good is never lost, Romans 8. It is true that your best is yet to come. All of those things that I said are true from the very mouth of God, but many of us struggle with it, not because we can't intellectually comprehend it, but because of spiritual warfare and an enemy who hates the joy that it produces in us. And if the enemy can take joy from you, he can take a variety of necessary God-given elements from your life. It's hard to have joy if you don't have peace. If I can take your joy, I get your peace. It's hard to have joy if I don't have contentment. It's hard to have joy if I don't have hope. You know, the opposite of joy isn't sadness, it's hopelessness. And if I get your joy, I get your hope. If I get your joy, I get your peace. If I get your joy, I get your contentment. If I can take all of those things, it's very difficult to be patient when you don't have peace. It's very difficult to be gentle and kind when you aren't content. It's very difficult to be long-suffering and loving when you don't have hope. And here's what the enemy does. The enemy knows that if he can take away the joy from the church, he can take away in a domino effect many of the fruits of the Spirit. And if the fruits of the Spirit are evident in the church, there's no testimony, there's no missionary presence in the world of distinction and desirability from the church that the world can see. Most of the church acts exactly like the world. Why? No joy, no presence, no power. Why? Because we're being lied to, and things are being stolen, and things are being killed, and things are being destroyed. We're at war. We have no idea, and we're losing the war even though we're victorious in Jesus. So I want to talk today about joy as, as a bank, as a bank. I want to talk to you about five joy accounts in your life, accounts that God intends to be full, but the enemy intends to bankrupt. Joy is something that you have. I want you to experience it. The enemy wants you to live as though you don't have it, can't have it, aren't able to experience it. So what are five things that the enemy does? What are five fronts, five accounts that you need to manage in order to experience the joy that God has for you? Are you with me so far? Here's the first, the themes that you fill your soul with. The themes that you fill your soul with. Proverbs 4 and verse 23, keep your heart, defend it, Cover it, be mindful of it, build a fortress around it with all vigilance. Don't stop, don't get distracted, don't get drunk, don't look the other place, don't fall asleep, for from it flows the springs of life. Everything in your life comes from your heart. And your heart needs to be defended, it needs to be protected, it needs to be 
kept is the word that the Bible uses. So I want to give you three fronts that I think the enemy uses to get at our heart that don't feel like that big of deals to us, but I want to shed some light on because I think they're significant deals. Your relationship, number one, to technology, number two, to the news, number three, to entertainment. Okay? Are you with me? First is technology. Sure, technology is great because it helps you connect with your old high school friend. Oh, I, I, I didn't know where they were. Wow, that's amazing. But a lot of times what we forget is that all of those platforms are businesses. They ain't benevolent, y'all. They're businesses that monetize your data and then market to you according to the algorithms that you create. See, why is that a big deal? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today and I want you to think of something that you want. And then I want you to say it around your phone. I would love a new pair of Jordan 1s so that people think I'm young. And then I want you to go to Facebook about an hour later and see how many ads come up for Jordan 1s. Okay? You say, why is that a big deal? Because it's hard to be joyful when you're seeing things that you don't have that you think that you need. I'm just on social media. No, no, no. You're being marketed to. You're being marketed to and you're seeing what other people are doing because we only put our celebratory events on social media. Right? Look at everything. They've got Jordans. Why don't I have Jordans? Well, for $399, you could have Jordans. It's a business. At the same time, it's an echo chamber because Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, come on somebody with threads, knows that you don't like to be disagreed with. And so it, you put something out into the world and Facebook takes it and says, let's find other people who agree with them. You say, well, why is that a big deal? I like to be agreed with, but you can be wrong. You cannot be growing. You cannot be healthy. You can have all of your dysfunction coming right back at you, right? And then when somebody comes in with an alternative voice, you all, get them! Yeah, our joy isn't greater because of technology. Our joy is actually because there's a plan, watch, under the God of this world, according to the course of this world, to steal and kill and destroy our joy. The news, you know, the news, uh, it's not the 6 p.m. news anymore. This is Walter Concrete. Concrete, is that right? Is that, what'd I say? Whatever. <laughs> Kite, Concrete, she's right. Yeah. And then the news used to be at one time a day, and I wasn't saying whatever to you, man, just whatever to Walter, all right? Uh, one time a day, and it was just what happened, okay? And then we had this shift, 24-hour news cycle, all right? News happening all the time. And the shift wasn't from this is what happened in the world. This is, it, it was a shift toward this is what I think about what happened in the world, okay? And in order to get you to watch, two things have to happen. You have to have a problem presented that creates fear, or you have to be shocked into wanting to click on it. Okay, can I just tell you something? Fear and joy, they don't go together, okay? The world is ending! Oh, I feel so. The Democrats are ruining it! The Republicans only care about rich people! You should listen for the next 13 hours! Okay, and literally, I know, I know Christians just have the news on in the background. And remember, it's a business with ads, that's how they make money. And if you don't click on it and you don't watch it and you don't think it's interesting and you are, oh, their business goes away. 
But we watch it, and we don't think there's any spiritual ideology behind it. There's no theology behind it. There's nothing that's being produced in me. So, so here's the test I want to give you. Just stop watching the news for a week. Don't listen to talk radio for a week. And instead, pray, read your Bible, spend time with someone who loves Jesus. And then evaluate your joy at the end of it. Evaluate your joy. This is a business, according to the course of this world, under the God of this world, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your joy because of what it represents. Entertainment is another one. It's funny. We think things aren't powerful when they have a beat or are funny behind them. We think things aren't powerful if it's got a, oh, that's catchy. All right? Oh, that's funny. Oh, 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 did you see the... We think there's no theology, no ideology, no premise, no theme behind it, okay? So let's do a quick experiment. Uh, the theme song right now of Kansas City was given to us by the great theologian Travis Kelsey. <laughs> it's a Beastie Boys song. And the name of that song is You Gotta Fight for Your Right. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's easy because you watched the Super Bowl. Let, let's go on a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm going to, I just want to see if this happens. Your pops caught you smoking and he says, no way. Dun, 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 dun. That hypocrite. <laughs> it's like you said it and then like, oh, I didn't mean to say that out loud. <laughs> Do you know when that song was written? 1986. A couple weeks ago on vacation, I was playing some old songs. We went to a restaurant and they were playing these songs and, uh, for Father's Day. And I got in the car, I put on Spotify songs from the 90s. Some of you weren't even born in the 90s. Get out of here with that. And I promise you, I'm singing line after line after line after line after line. Why is that? Because the enemy knows that the Trojan horse of bad theology is a good beat, right? The enemy knows if somebody tells you, oh, you got to watch the show, oh, you got to do this, oh, you uh, okay, okay, and you'll sit there and you'll watch things that are antithetical to God, that are heretical in every way, that you would never do, never say, never endorse, but you'll watch it. We don't think these platforms, technology, news, entertainment, we don't think of them as themes as ideas, as theology, as having a motivation. We think they're benign, that they just exist. No, no, no. They have a motivation. And the motivation is under the God of this world. We don't know how much time we give to them. You don't know how much time you're watching the news, listening to the news, on social media, watching the movie. We don't, we don't know, and we don't know how much strength they have. We don't know how much strength they have. So I'm going to give you an example. This, this, is, this is how these things work, okay? So I, um, I'm about 210 pounds, okay? I lift weights because I want my wife to think I'm hot, all right? <laughs> and um, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I'm just stronger than most of you, all right? So, <laughs> all right? Maybe not stronger than Pastor Brandon, stronger than most of you, okay? So my point is there's some element of discernible strength here, okay? So I'm up here. I want you to imagine Pastor Brandon has four boys. All of them are great kids. All of them are young. None of them are as strong as me. You with me? And I want you to imagine that they come in and 
that you say to Kingston, Kingston, pull Pastor Tim off the stage. And he grabs my hand, and I'm trying to pull him up, and he's trying to pull me down. And, and, and then it doesn't work, so we bring in the others, and now all four are pulling me. And the reality of it is that in a short amount of time, I could probably pull all four of them up and then talk trash to them and say something to Pastor Brandon. But what if day after day after day and year after year after year, they just pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled? Eventually, what would happen? I'm strong in my faith. Yeah, but the amount of downward pull, the repetition of downward pull, even though you don't think it's a big deal, even though it's small, even though it's one click, one movie, one song, one post, again and again and again and again and again and again. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Can I tell you what happened during COVID? You didn't lose your joy because of COVID. You lost your joy because you had more time to invest in these things. You watched the news more than ever. You emptied out your Netflix watch list. You commented more, watched more, clicked more, scrolled more, all of those things. And you got to the end and the joy account balance of your life was a lot of these things and a little of time with God. This is, this is an objective thing, y'all. Joy is not this subjective, no, no, no. It, it, a lot of that and a little of God's word equals not much joy. Why? Because joy is God and comes from God. And so if I spend 10 minutes with God and then visit him in a building once a week, and I am eight hours a day on one of these three things. Who do you think is going to win? <laughs> this is the joy account, the account balance. Just look at your life and say, okay, look at your life and say, if I have an enemy and I don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and if there is a God of this world, and if there is a course of this world, am I going according to the course of this world, or am I distinct from it? Meaning, do I order my life and the themes and the theologies of it differently? So themes allow you to create thoughts. That's the second. First is the themes you fill your soul up with. The second is the thoughts you fill your mind up with. Listen to what God says in 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, what we have in Jesus can destroy strongholds, family strongholds, strongholds of the past, strongholds of addiction, strongholds of like intangible ways. God is bigger than our problems. That's what it's saying. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, 24 hour news cycle, right? Raised against the knowledge of God. And here it is. We take every thought captive so that we can obey Christ. Our obedience follows our thoughts. Our thoughts follow the themes that we put into our mind. Are you with me? You need to think more about what you think about. Think more about what you think about. I want you to stop listening to certain things. I want you to stop watching certain things. I want you to stop entertaining or being entertained by certain things. And I want you to stop thinking certain things so that you can experience the joy that you have. I want you to start thinking about other things. What are the things that God tells us to think about? Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts are going to control you. So what's our joy account balance on our thoughts? The thoughts that God gives, the things that God says. I want you to think on these things. Because if you think on these things, you'll believe these things and you'll do these things. But in order to think on these things, these things have to be being put into your heart and mind. And the world isn't going to do that. So just think about what you thought about this week. Did you think about stress and scarcity and criticism and skepticism and criticism? When you heard the news, watched the stream, humming the tune? Or did you think about things that are just, things that are true, that you know are true, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are commendable, things that are excellent? You see, the Bible seems to think that you can choose what you think about. But you're gonna have to manage what you put into your mind so you can choose to think based on what's in your mind. Your joy account balance is tied to what's happening right here, and what's happening right here is tied to what comes in here and here. This is how the Bible teaches us to experience what God has. Number three is the talk you engage in, the themes you fill your soul with, the thoughts you fill your mind with, the talk you engage in. Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now we tend to think about words, especially in America, in one of three ways. First, we justify our words just by sheer quantity. Oh, everyone's saying it, right? I don't, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's saying these things. So many words, so many people say them. If I say them, it's not that big of a deal. It's cool what I say, nobody really cares, it's just words. The second is culture that we act like words only have certain meanings in certain time and certain place. I didn't mean it like that. Like I know, I know that word connotates hatefulness and, and, and injustice and inequality and, and, and everything apart from God, but I did, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. It's just what I call my friends. This is what I call, they know what I mean. You didn't know what I meant. It's just a word, no big deal. Everyone's saying it. Or we justify it with claims of authenticity. I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm just being honest. What, what do you mean? I shouldn't say what, 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 what I think is true? No. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> just, let's just jump to the punchline. No. No, no. Words have meaning regardless of how many people are saying it. Words have meaning regardless of where they came from or culture or those kind of... And there are certain words that Christians should... Never say. Why? Because the Bible teaches that words are powerfully creative. God chose to use words as his medium for creation, Genesis chapter 1. You do know that God could have chosen whatever he wants. He could have been like, I'm going to raise this finger right here, and then the sun's going to exist. What? Bloop. There it is. And then I'm going to do like the pinky thing. No pinky ring. Just boop. And then the moon. And I'm going to stand on my left foot, and then I'm going to wiggle my right toe. Silence, just bang. No words. No, no. God said, and then God said. And you do know God could have given us a podcast. Like he had the technology. Yeah. 
He could have um, sent us a text. <laughs> he could have sent us a messenger pigeon. He could have made a lion walk up to us and talk to us. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Wow, that's crazy that the lion said, no, no, he gave you a book with words in it. And then he said in the book of words, hey, be careful, be careful what, what you say because words are powerfully creative. Ash and I, when we were going through premarital counseling, uh, our counselor said, there are a number of things that you shouldn't say, but there's one word you should never say. It's the D word. Never say the D word. No matter what happens, no matter what gets said, no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel, never say the word divorce to one another. And for 21 years, we have said a lot of dumb things. I mean, a lot, an insurmountable amount of dumb things, but not once has the word divorce ever crashed through our lips. Why? Yeah, yeah. If you knew the amount of dumb things we, you said, you wouldn't be clapping right now, all right? Um, here's why. Because we never wanted to give life to that idea. We never wanted to give power to that idea. Yes, of course we know it exists, but it doesn't exist here. It doesn't get said here. It doesn't get looked at here. Literally, our deal is if you leave me, I'm going with you. We've said that to each other. We've said that to each other. You try to leave me, I'll find you, I promise. Right? <laughs> it's not creepy, it's, it's romantic. It's romantic. <laughs> no, we, we, we understood that something gets created just by saying the word. Something that didn't exist starts to exist. Just by saying the word. Be careful what words you give life to. What you create with them that wasn't there before. What becomes possible just because you said it? And if the Bible is to be believed, if you can say it, you can have it, for better or worse. I'm in a joyless marriage. Really? What have you been saying to each other? My kids, man, drive me crazy. My kids are crazy, but it's just, really? What have you been saying about your kids? What have you been saying to your kids? My faith is struggling right now, man. God feels this. Really? What have you been saying to yourself about yourself? And some, some of the ways we talk to each other, some of the ways we talk to ourselves, listen, we're creating things that shouldn't exist. We're creating things that shouldn't exist. So let's do a joy account balance. What are you saying? Now, what are you thinking? We already talked about that. What are you saying? And do understand that in order for it to come out of your mouth, it had to come through your heart. And for order for it to get into your heart, it had to come into those gates. It had to knock around in your mind. It had to make its way down to part of who you are. For it to become a part of the language that you use about God, about your spouse, about your kids, about yourself. Listen, you're creating things God didn't intend to exist in you. The reason you don't have joy is because you're not taking care of your heart, because you're not letting your mind be renewed, and because you don't understand how powerful this little thing right here is. Fourthly is your, your view of time. Okay, themes, thoughts, talk, time. Those are our accounts. Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, because tomorrow's got enough in it. Come on, somebody. 
Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Baby, don't you got enough to worry about today? Why you got to be worrying about Monday? That's what the Bible says. Little bit of a translation issue, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Isaiah 43, 18. Remember not, don't be thinking about the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. I love this. Don't you see it? I make a way, again, I love this, not on the mountaintop. I make a way in the wilderness, and I make a river, not in the lush green, no, no, in the desert. I know what the past has been. I'm doing something new. I need you to be able to see it. I need you to be able to see it, but you can't see it if you haven't, haven't been putting it in there. You can't see it if you haven't been thinking about it. You can't see it if you're speaking against it. Matthew 6, give us... Right, right here is about all I can handle. I said this to you before, one of my favorite quotes, Martin Luther, there are two days in my calendar. This day and that day, the day Jesus comes back and makes all the days. All the days right. So watch. Here's how the enemy lies to you. He wants you to think that you can do something about yesterday and tomorrow. Because if you're living outside of this day, this is the only day that God promised you. And that day is going to happen regardless, but you don't get to pick when. So the enemy says, as long as you live on any day other than this day or that day, I got you. Because in the past is regret. And in the future is anxiety. Today, you say, God, today, give me what I need for today. And God's like, I got it. God, come back and make this right. And God says, soon. But don't you worry about that. You just worry about today. Listen, some of you, the reason you don't have joy is because you're living in a different time zone. You're living the days gone by when you weren't the person that you are today. You did things that you wouldn't do today. You believe things you don't believe today. You said things you wouldn't say today. But the enemy wants to bring your identity of yesteryear into today so he can condemn you for tomorrow. <laughs> the only one who is outside of time is God and you ain't him. You don't have any ability for tomorrow. You know that it's not only idolatry, it's blasphemy for you to worry about tomorrow, like you're there, like you can do anything. What am I going to do for tomorrow? Who knows if you're going to even make it? <laughs> so let's do a joy account balance. What time zone are you in? What time zone are you in? Are you in the past? Are you in the future? Are you in today with the assumptive trust and promise that God will come back and say and do, I will fix this. I'm bigger than your problems. I knew you all along, loved you all along, wanted you all along. My promises stand. You can have joy today because of that day, but don't you worry about yesterday or tomorrow. Number four, or number five, is the tribe that is around you. Here it is, five accounts. The themes, the thoughts, the talk, the time, and the tribe. See how I alliterated them all for you? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this real quickly. Proverbs 12, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So this is an important principle. We do not influence one another from what we 
believe or what we know, we influence one another from what we are. So if I have a friend who is righteous, if I am with that friend, I am going in the direction that he is going, righteousness. If I have a friend who is wicked, I am going in the direction that he is going. Doesn't matter what he says, no matter what he believes, I really shouldn't be doing this, right? So be careful which kind of folks you spend time with is the idea. Proverbs 13, whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Amazing to me how many times somebody hangs with a knucklehead and they both get arrested. And how many times the one who shouldn't have been with the knucklehead tries to convince the cop, no, 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 I was just in the car. I didn't know that I was, I didn't know that they were, yeah, 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 turn around. Why? You shouldn't have been, you shouldn't have been in the car. You shouldn't have been with the friend. Why? Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. The opposite is true. You might be sharp, you hang with a doll, just a matter of time. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. You hang out with angry folks, just a matter of time before you're an angry folk. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. This is wild. I got good doctrine, good ethic, good morals, good theology, bad friends. Bad plan. I come to church every day. Yeah, but on Friday, you're hanging out with the homies. Just a matter of time. And then here, here's one, 2 Corinthians 6. Y'all have heard this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And this, this verse has been reduced to its lowest common denominator in the church, which means don't get married to a lost person. No, that's not it, sis. That ain't what it says. That's not what it says. It doesn't say that. I, I, I'm frustrated. I got I to be honest with you. I'm frustrated with, with people trying to convince me that God wants them to get married to somebody who got saved three days ago. No. That's not what it says. If I'm an ox and I'm under a yoke and I'm strapped to somebody else and I'm a beef, big, beefy, studly ox, I don't need you to have skinny ankles and not be able to pull your weight. No, no, I need you to be, frankly, bigger and stronger than me. Because I ain't trying to go there and drag you to get there. And so many of us, because we get enamored with somebody, are willing to compromise on who we get in covenant strapped to, and who we do life with, and who we get identified with. And God says, be careful whose yoke you get into. Whenever Ash and I were dating, the thing that I fell in love with about her wasn't that she loved me, although she did. Come on, somebody. It was that she loved God. And because I knew the field that God was going to send us to, and I needed her to pull her weight when I was struggling. I needed to be able to trust her faith because I knew that I needed to borrow her faith. A lot of marriages, I want to help you today, a lot of marriages, you made a decision, you got under a yoke, and now you're going in a circle. And a couple goes in a circle long enough, and they start criticizing one another, they get frustrated, they get fired. Why can't we ever be on the same page? Why can't we ever get along? Why can't we ever? Here's why. Because you aren't going the same place, and you aren't the same person. 
You don't have the same faith. You don't have the same desires. You don't have the same principles. You don't have the same theology. You're big and they're small, or you're small and they're big. And listen to me, if you're single in here right now, please hear my heart. Do not mess with this. Do not play games with this. Do not compromise on this. Do not accept anything less than God's absolute best. God's absolute best. Nothing less. I need you to be shocked the quality of the person that God puts you in covenant with. I need you to outkick your coverage. Come on, somebody. I need you to have some principles and have some integrity and understand that God has plans and purposes. And if he's going to put you under a yoke with another eternal soul, they better be going the same direction. All right. I'm off the soapbox. You want me to get back on? We ain't got time. We ain't got time. You know we ain't got time, Kyle. (laughs) So here's your joy account balance. Name the people that you spend the most time with. Okay, not your friends. People you spend the most time with. And work doesn't count because you don't get to pick that. Okay. Name the people you spend the most time with. And just real, two real simple questions. The people you spend the most time with, you choose to spend the most time with, do they love Jesus and are they joyful? And if the answer is no, it's just a matter of time before they pull you off the stage. It's just a matter of time. I, I want... I want to coach you because I want you to have a grid to understand how the enemy works. These are the spaces. The enemy's working around what you let into your soul, what's knocking around in your head, the words that are coming out of your mouth, the view you have of time and the people that God brings doesn't bring into your life. I need you to understand that God has plans for your life, but so does the enemy. And then here's one, one bonus and then we'll be done. Uh, Pastor Jim gave me this quote uh, a couple weeks ago as we were talking about joy, and man, he messed me up, messed me up. He gave me a quote from a lady by the name of Brene Brown, love me some Brene Brown. If you do your PhD in shame, you got something to say, all right? Here's the quote. She says, joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience. Think about that. Joy, joy and vulnerability are connected. And here, here's what I mean. Um, when you're just having a great time, right? You're just experiencing joy, tangible joy. You don't really care how you're coming off. I've seen some of y'all dance, <laughs> right? You just out there, you're pulling a Carlton Banks. You don't care. You're just doing it. You just you're. I, I remember I had a friend growing up. His name was Jim. We'd get laughing so hard, we'd be snotting and drooling and dry heaving. Just you know, tears coming down. Just we didn't care. It wasn't like, bro, get a hold of yourself. Joy and vulnerability are in relationships to one another. You're only going to allow yourself to experience joy when you feel safe with the person you're doing it with. Listen to what Brene Brown says. Joy is the most vulnerable emotion we experience. And if you cannot, listen to this phrase, tolerate joy. Some of us, we can't tolerate joy. You can't be happy for too long without starting to worry. She says, if you cannot tolerate joy, what you do is start dress rehearsing tragedy. 
I, I intended to coach you with those first five. Let me, let me pass to you on this one. Some of us are stuck outside of joy because we're afraid to enjoy. We're, we're afraid that if I actually embrace this moment, this relationship, this time, that what is around the corner is the counterbalance to this. And here's what I need you to understand. All of us have tragedies and all of us go through trauma. But the enemy wants to take your tragedy and your trauma and turn it into torment. He wants to push your nose into that tragedy or run you on the treadmill of that trauma for the rest of your life. So that every time you smile, you quickly wipe it off your face because you're afraid that the thing that comes next is worse than the good that you're experiencing. I said to you at the beginning that joy is a consequence of faith. Faith that Psalm 30, weeping might tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Faith that you, God, have turned my morning into some Carlton Banks dancing. Come on, somebody. Faith that you have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Some of you, yes, themes, yes, thoughts, yes, talking, yes, time, yes, try. But some of you are stuck in torment because you're afraid that God's not bigger than your hurts. You're afraid that if you enjoy it too much, God will wanna balance it out for you. Here's what I need you to hear. God is a God of joy. And God's presence is joy forevermore. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The only place you can go to for sustainable, quantifiable, qualifiable for the duration joy is our God and he sees you and he loves you and he has plans for you and his promises stand and his promise is this I'm going to take your bad I'm going to turn it to good and that good you can't lose it and your best it's yet to come I got you I'm around the corner I'm bigger than this. This isn't the end. I'm not done with you. You can rest. You can enjoy it. You can be present. You can smile. You can let it go. Because I'm God. And I got you. Lord, we love you today. And I, I pray for those of us, Lord, who are struggling with joy. And I think, I think it's a lot of us. I think it's a lot of us. The last few years have been hard. And we've invested in some things that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but over time they've pulled us down. Now we don't know how to get back up. Some of us are thinking thoughts. Some of us are struggling with the past, worried about the future. Some of us need to find better friends. Some of us need to change our vocabulary. And Lord, in all of those, we say yes and amen. We repent of those. We order ourselves under what you say is good and true and right.
Lord, I specifically want to pray for those of us who are struggling with joy because we're stuck in hurt and trauma and tragedy. And the enemy isn't really intending for us to grieve. He's intending to torment us and to destroy us. Lord, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus for freedom from that today. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you give us rest. That you give us calm, that you give us peace, that yes, it happened, and yes, it hurts, but our God is bigger. Our God has plans. We aren't lost. We can let it go. We can enjoy it. We can be hopeful. We can trust because we're safe. We can be vulnerable before you, our God, who is joyful, who has joy, in whose presence there is joy, whose fruit produces joy. Lord, would you do this for us? Set us free today. Bring us to ease today. Bring us to closure today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing and what you've done, for your goodness, for your trustworthiness, for your power. We love you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.